Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings, and we thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you uh, for the wonderful, amazing eye and the architect that you are. And just looking at that, we know that uh, you are a God of detail, and we appreciate our vision. And um, as I tell my patients, I can't wait till you come back so I'm out of a job and everyone can see um, as you designed us to see. And so we ask now that you um, be with me as I speak about your creation and uh, may it glorify you and help us to learn and keep our minds clear and sharp and uh, learn practical things that we can use for our patients. In your name I pray, amen. So I like this logo this, this year at Amen. Um, are you willing? And that can, are you willing to do what? And in eye care, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit like other areas in healthcare have been in the last 20 or 30 years, and that is, are you willing to go there uh, with nutrition, with your patients? Uh, that's a little bit different in eye care than it has been in other, other professions through the years, and we're gonna talk a little bit about that. I have no financial incentives in any specific product or company I mention, and so I wanted to make sure that that was uh, clear. Here are our learning objectives. Number one, we want to increase the knowledge and competency and understanding the etiology, pathophysiology, diagnosis, and treatment of common eye diseases. That's our first half of the lecture. The second half is describing how nutrition specifically affects macular degeneration, cataract, and dry eyes. And so we're going to spend a lot on that top, top one, just l learning uh, a little bit about that. And uh, this is the bottom line. So for those of you that like to look at the bottom figure, uh, this is it. So this is the slide. And the conclusion of the whole matter is what is good for your heart, your blood, your circulation, your brain, your nervous system, your lungs, your respiratory system, your GI tract, your joints, your in and inflammation, your skin and immune system is good for your eyes. And uh, so the Bible in Matthew 6 says the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So let's, let's uh, go through these a little bit real quick here. And um, when we look at the eye and the internal structures, we realize that the central retinal artery and vein fan out in the back of the eye. And when we're sitting over here and we look through, um, this is something that we can see uh, bare, basically because the tissue in front is transparent. And so you can actually see these. It's the only place in your body that you can see blood vessels bare there and of course on the conjunctiva. So when we look in and, and we look under the slit lamp microscope or the binocular indirect ophthalmoscope or fundus photography, and I'm wondering if we can dim these lights at all, we might not be able to, um, then you can see in there. And so you can see in this particular uh, patient right here, this abnormal wedge of blood right there. That's good, thank you. And uh, even a choroidal nevus right there. Um, but uh, this, this is a branch retinal vein occlusion where the blood, the vein actually got clogged with a clot. And so the veins of course drain the blood out of the retina. And so the, the, the blood is backing up behind that clot. And, uh, that uh, luckily off to the edge like that, this is the macula of course down here, and uh, that's where your central vision is, and so this patient would be asymptomatic and not even know that was in there. And to demonstrate this, and uh, most of you that do routine eye exams every day um, have cases just like this. This was a case that I saw in 2007 of a 43-year-old white male 43-year-old, okay, so this guy is probably barely, if not, he's probably not even into bifocals yet and uh, not expecting anything wrong with his eyes on a routine eye exam. And 20-20, uh, both eyes, and uh, now his blood pressure was a little high, it was 130 over 98, and he was non-diabetic, but uh, I don't know if you can see these, but these dot blot hemorrhages are scattered around a little bit, not terrible, uh, there's another one up there. But, uh, you know, the first question you ask, are you diabetic? No. And uh, then the next second question is, when was your blood work done? And if they say, oh, 23 years ago, then I'm like, oh, let's get your blood work done. But um, 
then I look over, you know, into this view, and this does not look good. This is a very congested uh, optic nerve, and that um, is an impending central retinal vein occlusion. And his, his blood vessels here are a little bit engorged and a little bit tortuous. So when you see that in a retina, uh, that's a red flag of, you know, high blood pressure, something, uh, some venous congestion there going on that, that um, is not good. And so what I did is I sent him to the uh, internist that he went to and uh, wrote a letter and recommended some different blood work. And sure enough, well, if you let this go, it can turn into that. And that is a central retinal vein occlusion. So we didn't want that to happen. And uh, so we sent him for, for blood work. And uh, sure enough, he has primary antiphospholipid syndrome. Uh, not from lupus. This is often called Hughes syndrome. And it um, is a hypocoagulative blood disorder that uh, is the reason that his eyes look like that. So they put him on and he had high IgM antibodies in his particular case. And uh, so they put him on Coumadin, and he has been on Coumadin ever since. And uh, so this is seven years later, and his optic nerve, you know, you can tell it looks a lot better. And he is uh, no longer at risk for death from a stroke. And so very appreciative and that, that that was caught on a routine eye exam, shocked him completely as well as me. And so, uh, but we see these things and these are not unusual findings that we see. And so um, now that it's seven years later and I have uh, really about one year of amen training where I would listen, I, had, I would listen to amen lectures quite a bit. Uh, several years before I started attending. This is my third year at Amen. And um, I, uh, I said, I need to go there with this guy. And, and here's why. Because a year after this photo was taken, I started seeing some congestion again. Now he's already on Coumadin. And I, it, it was almost like he was having an impending CRVO, central retinal vein occlusion again. And so I, uh, I needed to go. I'm sorry. So, Tell me about your overall diet. Tell me about your health. What you know, this is not a uh, healthy-looking eye. And if the bottom line is, remember that first slide. If it's healthy for the rest, if you're seeing it in these blood vessels, you're seeing it. He's he's got the same problem all over his body. Okay, it's just that his internist and his other Medicare or, or medical providers don't know it, and so. I went there and I asked him about his diet and I said, what do you eat? What's your typical lunch on lunch break? And he said, uh, white bologna sandwich, white bread, bologna sandwich and a Mountain Dew. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're talking about, you, you, you do that like once a month or something. And he said, no, I said, I do that every day. That's my, that's my lunch. And so, uh, and, and I said, what about vegetables? What about, you know, anything green, the greens and things like that? He said, no, 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 I can't, I can't eat greens. I'm on Coumadin. And I'm like, he, he says, I, I was told to avoid them, you know, like the plague. I said, let's, let's think about this. So they tell you why. He said, yeah, because it's going to mess up and it's going to thin my blood and mess it, mess it up and all that. I said, why don't you follow my line of thinking for just a moment? And uh, I said, why don't you plan on eating the same amount of spinach or whatever it is every day and have your PT and PTT checked and all that and get get your Coumadin adjusted according to your diet, not adjust your diet according to your medicine. And uh, you know, you could just kind of see, what, I've never thought of that. And so his, uh, his uh, and my next step was I gave him a forks over knives. And this was uh, three years ago. And um, I sent him to a, my retina specialist that I use, the group there in uh, Johnson City. And so, um, luckily, I get the letter back from the retina specialist, and sure enough, he's also <coughs> recommending high diet, or diet high in green leafy vegetables and fish and less caffeine. And yes, that was the retina specialist that actually said that, which um, I was very proud of. 
And uh, yes, and so we've got, we're blessed in East Tennessee to have some really good um, support there, even from non-Adventist that are up to date. And so um, I saw him two months ago. I saw him in August. And now it's been uh, 10 years, over 10 years since this first happened. And I said, how you doing? What are you eating now? And, and uh, he says, you know what? He says, I cut out most all bread. He says, I don't eat uh, processed meat anymore. And he added more vegetables to his diet and cut out all the caffeine. His blood pressure was now 128 over 83 with no meds. And his uh, vision's still 20-20. And now he's 54, year old, 54 years old and, of course, now in bifocals. And um, can still still see, and so of course we can we can get him uh, seeing better and, and everything with glasses, and that's that's what a lot we do. But we do obviously much more than that. So the other here's another example of how we're going to talk about this in the next hour. Uh, how things that affect your blood vessels also affect your retina. That's our topic right here, and this is of course uh, diabetic retinopathy, and this would be pre-proliferative. Uh, you see a lot of lipid exudate leakage there and blood in leaking through the capillaries into the retina. And then uh, this interesting um, case here too. So, you know, we know about bleeding in the eye and we see that quite often. I have never um, heard this complaint. Um, this lady came in and she said, um, last night I, I, my eye bled onto my pillow. And I I looked at her, I'm like, is it bleeding now? And she's like, no, 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 it was just last night. I woke up and there was blood on my pillow. And I'm like, how'd you know you didn't have a nosebleed or something like that? She goes, no, no, the blood was in my eye and it was pooling in my eye. And you know, you always think of subconjunctival hemorrhages when that happens, but no, 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 her eye was white. And I'm looking and everything looks totally fine. And so flip the eyelids. If you don't flip eyelids, you're not seeing the whole eye. So flip the eyelids and sure enough, there was a conjunctival, upper palpebral conjunctival hemangioma that would spontaneously bleed. So just sent her off to the surgeon, get that removed, and she's fine ever since. And, uh, but spontaneous, I've never had anybody come in, and, and, and I've been in practice now 20 years, and that's still the only one. But what's good for your eyes, good for your heart, your blood circulation, your heart, and... Uh, now let's move on, brain and nervous system. Again, in the eye, when we look in, of course the optic nerve is direct extension of brain tissue. Again, the only place in your body that you can view brain tissue directly with no skin over it, it's just the cornea and the vitreous and the lens, which hopefully are all transparent. So uh, again, our view, when we look in, this is the optic nerve with a normal amount of, of cupping to the optic nerve, if, if you uh, remember the CD ratios, cup to disc ratios and all that. And so when you get damage or death of these neurological, uh, this neurological tissue here um, in the disease that is now classified as a neurological disorder and uh, degeneration, neurological degeneration, that is glaucoma. And... Um, it is a brain neuron problem, and uh, that's the other eye. And then this is a more advanced case. This is um, actually only one or two times a year when we check this over the past 15 years have we ever caught this pressure ever being high. Uh, this is an example of a, a normal tensive uh, patient. Well, it's not normal tensive because it's, it's been higher than 21 at least one or two times, but uh, so technically it's primary open angle. Um, same patient visual field. So when you have visual, when you have neuronal loss like that in the optic nerve, you're going to have visual field defects here. And uh, these aren't these aren't just a uh, depression of the hill of vision in in visual fields. These are zeros. That means there's no vision there. You know these other areas here have vision, it's just that these, these spots when shown, if you've ever had a visual field, they had to be extra bright compared to the normal data, uh, database, but the, the, these areas are, are where there is no visual function uh, sensing the light. This is the other eye. So very moderate glaucoma, if not moderate to severe, and the other eye is definitely severe. 
And so um, when we look at this, of course, we're going to be looking at the, the uh, tissue, the, this tissue that comes through the optic nerve here and fans out to the photoreceptors, and that passes, of course, through the retinal nerve fiber layer. And so when we're looking at the retinal nerve fiber layer right there, if these neurons die, then the thickness out here will decrease. And so the whole idea of ocular coherence technology and OCTs and spectral domain and all that OCTs, um, it's measuring now this area here to a normative database and uh, giving us a, an evaluation of that retinal nerve fiber layer. And so when you look at this retinal nerve fiber layer thickness, the um, solid line is the right eye and the dotted line is the left eye, and these should be up in the green, which they are. And uh, then it does its analyses here to the 300 patients that are in the Carl Zeiss Meditech uh, database, and you're seeing any deviation from the norm, and sure enough, it's catching what we call a wedge defect right there in the retinal nerve fiber layer. And, um, but you can see there's pretty good color up in here in the thickness map, and that's, uh, so that's not bad, just, just uh, some very trace retinal nerve fiber layer thinning in that sphere nasal quadrant right there. This is a different story. So what I want to show you first is I want you to look at the, the nice color. That, the first thing you should look at when you, when you evaluate one of these is these color maps up here and, and good, good uh, retinal nerve fiber layer coming off that optic nerve, you see the difference? This is, this is your first hint that there's some serious retinal nerve fiber layer loss right there. So when you see that and you see these printouts and then you look down here and it's, it's saying, okay, these are all areas that are super thin and sure enough to the normative database, especially this area right here, that's definite loss superiorly. And um, this, and by the way, um, when you, th these areas that are thinning like this, th these technologies are, are being used because this is a neurological disorder. These studies are being uh, used to try to detect other neurological diseases like Parkinson's and multiple sclerosis and um, dementia and Alzheimer's and whatnot because of, of the potential correlation there. So they're doing studies. The other more recent thing that we've been doing for about the last year or so is when we order the retinal nerve fiber layer, we also order this ganglion cell analysis of the macula. And so one of the other first things that starts to happen is this, this is the same patient, by the way. So it was the left eye over here that was definitely um, abnormal, abnormal coloring up here. And if you look at the macula right here, the ganglion cells there that the retinal fiber layer axons, you know, hook to, they're dying. And so you've got, so in glaucoma, you don't ever want to base a diagnosis on one test or anything. You look at the, all the risk factors, you look at the visual fields, you look at the, how the optic nerve looks, you look at pressure, you look at, at the other data that you can get from these more sensitive tests. And uh, then you say, does this correlate? Does this make sense? and uh, you're trying to predict the future based on any trend that you can find. And of course, this is the visual field, and this is that same eye. Well, you think, oh, well, that's down here. Of course, that's superior, uh, this superior defect right there is gonna affect what part of the visual field? Inferior. So there's your start of the, uh, maybe a little arcuate loss right there. And so if this is a repeatable visual field, um, then you'll know that this could definitely be glaucoma. And, uh, but glaucoma is defined as progressive optic atrophy though. And if it's not progressing and it's stable for 10 years and looks just like this, is it glaucoma? No, all right? And so you have to know that glaucoma is progressive. And um, this patient's not gonna go blind tomorrow and even in two months. Luckily, glaucoma is a disease of, of several years but it is definitely something that um, we want to uh, pay attention to. There's seats up here too. And this is the other eye. And the other eye, if you remember, was pretty borderline and that's why the visual field is not affected there. 
Um, so let's talk about this a little bit, lifestyle activities that raises um, uh, pressure, intraocular pressure, or IOP. Lifestyle activities. You may or may not know that playing high wind instruments, uh, such as the oboe, um, can increase the pressure more than double in approximately, in approximately 20 seconds. But it comes right back down to baseline when you stop playing. And so if you are a very delicate, fragile, in-stage glaucoma patient, you might want to give up the oboe. Um, drinking coffee, as much as the media and everybody wants to say coffee is very healthy for you, it does cause a one to four millimeter rise in, in IOP that lasts for at least 90 minutes. And uh, drinking five or more cups of coffee per day, which sounds like a lot, but if you talk to your patients, you got a lot of patients on five cups a day. And uh, that causes a 1.6-fold increase of glaucoma. And, uh, of course, caffeine is very vasoconstrictive, and so you're going to have less blood flow to the optic nerve, and uh, that has something to do with it, uh, most likely. Um, I'd say that not many people are doing yoga, but um, inversion tables and moon boots, um, when you go upside down, that causes your pressure to increase by two-fold as well, and it comes back down to normal again in five minutes. But if you're, again, a very delicate in-stage glaucoma patient, you would not want to be doing uh, these things either. Um, and then wearing neckties. Um, <laughs> this did change my wardrobe. I will tell you, when I saw this study several years ago when it came out, I went up a half inch on my neck. So I still wear ties every day, but they are loose. And um, just to make, to make sure. And more comfortable and I can turn. And lifting weights also can uh, increase it a little bit. Now, what lowers it? Exercise actually lowers it. Yeah, imagine that. And uh, it can decrease it as much as four uh, to five points. And um, physically fit. If you, people that are more physically fit have lower pressure in general. And, uh, but the hypotensive effects... Uh, lasts only for a few weeks in physically fit individuals, and if they stop, it goes away. So it's not a fix, but it can sure help. And so, uh, yeah. so the only proven effective treatment for for uh, currently the available that's is lowering the pressure. However, if you saw this last year, I was shocked to see this. And this is the first time I've ever seen a nutritional study on glaucoma to this scale. And this was, came, out of, came out of the nurse's health study. And those nurses who ate the most green leafy vegetables decreased their risk of glaucoma by 21% um, for the primary open angle glaucoma and 44% lower risk for glaucoma that was associated with impaired blood flow compared to those nurses who ate the least green leafy vegetables. So isn't that amazing? So if you, you know, for years I was always asked, what about nutrition and glaucoma? And I didn't really have an answer except that I had ever seen that was, that was to this scale. Uh, and, and I just said, let's use common sense. What's healthy for your optic nerve and other tissues? And we know exercise is good for your body. It's good for most everything. It's probably good for your optic nerve, and let's also use common sense on diet. You know, if it, what's good for your rest of your body is gonna be good for your optic nerve as well. And then this, my classmate, uh, Ian Ben Gaddy, um, this just came out this month. So go back home, dig that out of your trash can. This was um, in the Optometry Times, and it says the role of nitric oxide in glaucoma. And guess where you find a lot of nitrates? Process me, but um, nitric acid oxide is also in green leafy vegetables as far as uh, healthy for you because, and this, this, this cracks me up a little bit here. Um, so instead of recommending eating more spinach, they're actually um, coming out with this new drug for uh, glaucoma. This is in phase three studies right now, and it's latanoprostine uh, bunod LBN. And what this is, is, is a prodrug, and when it's metabolized, 
it turns into latanoprost, which is Ilatan, the number one drug in America um, for glaucoma, the, the generic is, and um, a nitric oxide molecule, which relaxes the smooth muscle in the trabecular meshwork. And it also vasodilates, um, so it helps the optic nerve blood perfusion. And um, so the lowering of this, this, or the expanding of this trabecular meshwork where the aqueous in the front of the eye, the fluid, drains out. If you open the drain up, it's going to bring that pressure down. And it's been shown to be more effective than Temelol and Latanoprost. And so that's huge. And, and where we like to try to get about a 30% reduction in our glaucoma patients, uh, they're getting, depending on if you're a human or a mouse, um, about 35 to 40 uh, 35 to 40% reduction with one drop, which is good. And so what's good for your eyes, the nutrition that affects those neurological tissues are now even in other diseases, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, here's in, in just less than a year ago, it says conclusions, antioxidants, carotenes, fruits and vegetables were associated with high, higher ALS function at baseline uh, and so those responsible for nutritional care of patients with ALS should consider promoting fruit and vegetable intake since they are high in antioxidants and carotenes. So again, to me, that's just common sense, but JAMA Neurological or Neurology um, Journal, that's what it's uh, showing. And then so we'll move on here, lungs and respiratory system, how this affects the eye. This is a presumed ocular histoplasmosis syndrome where it, you get a fungus that uh, we see quite a bit in Tennessee and Alabama and the Ohio River Valley. It's really only in the Ohio River Valley in the United States. And it's a fungus that is in the air. It's a lot in chicken manure. And uh, you breathe this fungus in, it gets into your lungs, which then gets into your bloodstream and goes to your retina and causes scarring like this. And um, it can be bad. And uh, the, the, the one patient that sticks out in my mind is this 18 year old that just graduated from uh, high school first time patient to me, she walks in and says, I lost one eye to, to histo back a few years ago, and now my other eye, I'm seeing some changes. I looked in, and uh, she ended up losing her vision, came legally blind just the week after she graduated high school, which is tragic, very, very sad. So lungs and respiratory, what about the GI tract? Um, went to Mongolia with it as written this summer, and uh, one of the most common problems over there is constipation from their diet, high, high in meat. They have a very short growing season, and so they have less uh, fiber and less, less uh, fruits, grains, nuts, and vegetables, and uh, lots of, of constipation. So um, you're going to get this with that increased Valsalva pressure. A lot of times you'll pop a blood vessel in that subconscious space there. In the toxoplasmosis, it, which is uh, from you get your... You get this as a baby, you're born, your mom was too close to the cat litter and uh, somehow touched it, got ingested the cysts from the cat feces or undercooked meat and then um, gets into the baby's uh, retina and about 58% of the time goes to the macula, which is sad. So um, joints, inflammation. This is the pupil that's dilated, but this part didn't dilate because it is stuck to the anterior surface of the lens right there. And that's uh, posterior synechia. And this can be caused when you see something like that, the first thing that comes to mind is a chronic iritis or chronic inflammation in the eye, which you can get from that. And, um, and then we're gonna talk a little bit later too about this uh, dry eye syndrome. This is foreseen staining on the cornea and uh, you shouldn't be able to see the cornea. But when you do, then you know something's wrong with it usually, and that's the uh, superficial punctate keratitis. So joints, inflammation, and dry eye is an inflammatory disease. About skin, and of course this is another choroidal nevus right there, just like a nevus or a mole that you would have on your hand. If you're dilating your patients, which I hope you are, you'll be seeing these multiple times a day, very common. This is my wife's eye, one of them, and she's got two in each eye. And so once a year I take photos and compare it and make sure they're stable. 
and one in 9,000 of these will turn into melanoma. And uh, the closer they are to the optic nerve, the more, the more ominous they are. And uh, the other thing you wanna do, if you have an OCT machine and you have, these are anywhere close where you can get an OCT scan on these, the reason you wanna do that on every one of them every year is you're wanting to look for any subretinal fluid because that can uh, be an ominous sign as well when you start seeing that. This also is an ominous sign. This is a iris nevus. It's not an iris melanoma, even though it looks like it. And if you could see the picture a little bit better, that's a peaked pupil right there. Anytime you see a peaked pupil where it's not, not circular, but kind of like a, a little notch in that pointing you to the cancer, then yeah, it's a red flag. And so um, this was not though, thankfully for that patient. And your immune system. So one last thing here, we, we, this, this uh, herpes simplex keratitis is uh, a painful red eye. So just as a clinical pearl, those of you that are not eye doctors and don't have slit lamps where you can see this, when you have a patient with a red eye or a pink eye and you think, oh, it's just conjunctival, it's just conjunctivitis, uh, what's it going to hurt to throw on an antibiotic? Eh, nothing. What's, uh, pretty inflamed the second day. What's it going to hurt to throw on a steroid? This is what it would hurt. And uh, you will blind that patient in 24 hours if you do that. So no, no provider except an optometrist or ophthalmologist should ever be using a steroid on a painful red eye. That's your differential. So a painful red eye is not normal. Conjunctivitis does not hurt. It's a little bit sore, but a painful red eye, something else is going on. Get that to an eye care provider. So uh, that patient, of course, was in a lot of pain. Put them on Viroptic. This was back before the days of Zergan, which I absolutely love. But Viroptic every two hours up to nine times a day. And that's day four. And you can see how much those dendrites are, are much, much better. And when I say... Uh, Herpes, this is not type two genital herpes, this is the cold sore uh, type one herpes. And uh, this is day seven. Much, much better, no dendrites whatsoever and doing great. And so what's good for all of these is good for your eye, all right? So end of part one. So let's talk about these three right here. What can nutrition do specifically? Well, for the last 30 years or so, well, first of all, macular degeneration, what is it? So macular de degeneration has, has two types. It's the dry and the wet, and you don't want either. But uh, if you're gonna have to pick, I suppose I'd pick the dry um, to, to start with. And, um, but the normal, the normal eye looks like this again. And this one is pretty normal too and there's not much there in the macula going on. But on the other eye of the same patient, you can see this right here. And that's, so you want the macula to be this nice, smooth, dark. This, this is where the photoreceptors are tightly packed. So it should be darker in appearance like that, but it should be a smooth, smooth color like that. And then when you see any disruptions in the retinal pigment epithelial layer right there, uh, these RPE changes and, and drusen, that's not good. So if you do a macular uh, OCT, you can see that right eye looked pretty normal. This is a normal, good foveal pit right there. And uh, these layers are pretty nice and straight. Right here, there's a little glip right there. You see that? On a little higher resolution one, that's the right eye. This is the left eye. And now you can really see it. And so these blips right behind. And so this right there in the very middle in that dip is your 20-20 vision. That's your central vision. And so if this gets worse, you will start to have this, this change in, in this, the macula and in your vision, actually. You'll start to see it. And uh, so there's some more changes in the macula there with dry, some, some drusen in there, and these RPE changes. And so when you look at this Amsler grid, that you've probably seen in the newspaper or hopefully heard about from somewhere, you'll start to get this metamorphopsia down here. So you're looking at that central dot, but now as you look at that central dot, you see these lines are no longer straight and even like this. And this is extremely sensitive about picking up macular degeneration changes. So that's why you wanna give these to your patients to take home and they should do this every day. And I give them like three or four 
I tell them put them across from their toilet, put them on their mirror, put them on their refrigerator, put them somewhere because literally they look at this with one eye and they say, is, is, this, is my vision the same as yesterday looking at that dot? And then, I, and then they look at the other eye and they have to do it independently because the other eye will fill in. So it takes literally two seconds. Yep, same as yesterday. Yep, same as yesterday. They're good to go. And that is as sensitive as having somebody look in at the macula every single day. It's so simple to do. So we use it for a lot of conditions, including histo, diabetes, uh, macular degeneration, and, um, and other things. So dry ARMD is not benign. So some people think, well, I have the good form of, of macular degeneration. Well, there is no such thing. But it is the better form. I'll give them that. But what the problem is, is this ge geographic atrophy. So geographic atrophy is where it just deteriorates slowly and uh, then when you start getting this more quickly. So the prevalence of, of this at age 70 in European an ancestry is about seven, less than 1%. This now jumps in 10 years when you're, by the time you're 80, it's almost 3% and then by 90, it's over 11%, um, which is sad. And this is what it looks like. So there's no bleeding here. It's just general atrophy of this, of the photoreceptors. And uh, it's just too bad because it's a 70 year old or 80 year old or 90 year old film and a camera for those of you that are old enough to remember film and a camera. And it just deteriorates. Same patient two years later. So here this one is two years later. It's now all the way up into here and this just tends to get bigger and bigger over time until their whole, so when they look at you, they can't see a thing right here. They have to look over here and use their side vision. So if they talk to you, or if you're in a nursing home or something, and, and they won't look at you in the face, it's because if they do, they can't see you. So let them look where they are looking and just know that they're looking at you using their side vision, eccentrically viewing. And so this is a patient of mine that just made me so sad because here's this geographic atrophy. Um, this was his uh, other eye. And right here, he was still able to see 2020, believe it or not, because he had this little island of vision right there. Okay. Now, of course, he had changes on the macular or the angel grid and all that, but he could still read a book, sign his checks. He could still do things like that until two years later. That island is gone, and, uh, and it went uh, downhill from there, and uh, really sad. So a patient like that, I just, I just want Jesus to return. That's, that's the cure, and we've got nothing else to offer them except that. And um, so 40 to 50% of eyes with geographic atrophy with good vision at baseline will lose three or more lines of vision. So they might be, if they're 20, 20 when they start, they might be 20, uh, 30, 20, 40 within two years. And within four years, one out of four of them will be 2,200 or worse. That's, that's bad. And that's exactly where uh, he ended up. So there's no, no cure, no treatment for dry macular de degeneration at the current time, except nutrition. Now, it doesn't cure, it doesn't treat, but what it does is it lowers the risk, as you'll see. And so this, this area is interesting because for the past 30 years, um, we really didn't have, in, in medicine as a general rule, you weren't getting the um, mainstream doctors talking about nutrition until really the last five to 10 years, okay? And it was almost taboo. It was almost a taboo topic. Uh, still, very few medical schools treat nutrition or um, and teach nutrition. And uh, so, eye doctors and the eye researchers they said, "Well, maybe vitamins." And so, Bosch and Lom, of course, created their formula of Preservision, and uh, wouldn't do any studies on it because they didn't want to lose their market share. I think that's what I've heard. And so they uh, finally, the NIH, um, the National Eye Institute under NIH stepped in. And from 1992 to 2001, they did a huge 
age-related eye disease study, AREDS. And nutrition has become the standard of care for dry macular degeneration. So I don't have a cure, I don't have a treatment, but I am, if I'm, I'm amiss if I don't talk nutrition with my patients when it comes to macular degeneration. In fact, in 2006, PQRI started, that's Physician Quality Reporting Initiative, and uh, which then later became to Physician Quality Reporting uh, PQRS system, I believe, and now it's MIPS, which is the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System. And basically what that is in a nutshell is that they gave, they gave certain doctors in different specialties and whatnot certain things that made you a better doctor to differentiate yourself other, over other colleagues in, in your area. And, and this is one of them for macular degeneration. It's did you talk to your patient about the AREDS study? And so you are supposed to mention this if you're doing a higher level of quality of care, and uh, you should be. And there's other things uh, we're going to talk about. So what the, the, the study found over this nine years with over 3,000 patients, it showed that taking that vitamin right off the shelf decreased your chance of conversion if you had dry macular degeneration, which all of them did in this study. It decreased your chance of conversion to wet. And uh, so that's worth it. And so when you have a, a dry macular degeneration patient, it's worth your effort and time to talk to them about this. This was the formula right here, the old AREDS formula. And it had the vitamin C, vitamin E, varied carotene, zinc, copper. And so meanwhile, as the study was going on, there was other studies that were showing things about lutein. So in 1994, a study from Harvard showed that eating lots of lutein led to a 43% decreased risk for macular degeneration. Well, you can get six milligrams per day by eating this much, a half cup cooked kale uh, and a half cup cooked spinach. And so that was uh, big news too about lutein. That's why, you know, Centrum Silver with lutein now for your eyes. Uh, then this came out also about zeaxanthin. So what are lutein and zeaxanthin? They're two photo retinal photopigments that, that are in the retina and you get these out of your food. And uh, so zeaxanthin may decrease this as well. Here's your food sources for lutein and zeaxanthin. And uh, zeaxanthin is really down in here, which is the appropriate orange yellow color and the green lutein is up in here. And interesting to me was uh, cooked spinach has more lutein availability than raw spinach did, but uh, it's all good. So then there were studies about omega-3 coming out, and there was a study that followed again over 3,500 men and women that said there was a 59% lower risk of getting macular degeneration in those patients who ate the most omega-3. And then, uh, so men who ate over two servings of fish weekly were 45% less likely to have macular degeneration. Of course, fish oil may increase the risk of bleeding, so you gotta be careful for your own blood thinners, uh, warfarin, such as warfarin, or even if you're on aspirin. Yes? I don't know, as far as, so me personally, uh, I, I do not eat fish oil and, uh, or fish. And so I get mine from the algae, the vegan algae, the omega-3 you can get uh, from, and chia, flaxseed, and things like that too, yeah. So, meanwhile, also during the same time, there was bad findings about beta carotene. And remember that was one of the components. And so what happened was, since that was published, uh, it was actually increasing the risk of lung cancer among smokers and those who used to smoke. So, oh, so now you gotta be really careful about recommending AREDS, the first edition of AREDS to uh, smoking patients. And um, smokers, of course, are four times more likely to, to have macular degeneration, four, 100% more likely. So AREDS2, this, this was a follow-up study 
that was, went from 2006 to 2011, published in 2013, followed over 4,000 patients. And they changed the formula based on some of these other uh, studies. So like, yeah, they scratched beta carotene out and they added omega-3 <coughs> lutein and zeaxanthin is what that's supposed to be. And uh, so here's the new formula for AREDS2. So this is the latest AREDS formula right there. And it also had omega-3 in it. Well, it showed a 10 to 25% reduction in risk of progression. Now, what was, this study is a little bit different though because this was, um, these were already patients who were well educated and already taking supplements, many of them, all right? So this study did show though that this formula was even better than the original formula because it was an additional 10% or so more uh, reduction in risk of macular degeneration. And while that was going on, this study about exercise came out and this was in the British Journal of Ophthalmology uh, in 2006. 4,000 people they followed for 15 years and if they walked two miles a day on an average of three times per week, they were 70% less likely to develop macular degeneration. So when was the last time you, you saw that? This, this is kind of hidden. It's there, it's out there, but you're not hearing exercise, exercise. You know, you're hearing all about the supplements and vitamins and things like that to recommend. Um, and then since then, this is about zinc. This just came out this summer, just a few months ago. And uh, zinc, is, to, to say this in a nutshell, it's, it's been a major controversy because NIH with the National Eye Institute says, no, zinc, uh, you don't have to worry about this, but, but CMS, okay, Centers for Medicare Services, recently re reviewed all of the available data and concluded that genetic testing was helpful in determining which patients should be taking the AREDS formula containing zinc, because both formulas have the zinc in it, and which patients are zinc sensitive and should be taking an AREDS formula without zinc. And so, because what it was is there was uh, about 13 to 19% are zinc sensitive, and it actually caused them to advance their macular degeneration uh, more frequently if they were taking this zinc. So you don't want to do harm to your patients either. Right. Yes. Not that I've seen. This, this is the first time I had seen this. And so this is not standard of care. In fact, there was a lawsuit about this, which they settled because they couldn't, they would lost in, in court because this is not standard of care yet. And so, but this may become standard of care as genetic testing then is, is more, is done more by our colleagues and things. So you just need to be aware of this and uh, those that want to do this can do this. And I'm not sure, you know, if, if they, have testing, I, I, they, they obviously have testing available for it because CMS now covers it. So Medicare is this a covered service for them. Also since this came out was in uh, this talk about aspirin. So what happened here was the people taking aspirin had a two and a half times higher risk of macular degeneration and it was dose dependent and so be aware of that, and uh, so, so I don't know. I'm not sure why that is, and I'm not sure if they they knew it. It uh, same thing here. Oral vasodilators and oral beta blockers. I mean, you want good blood flow to the choroid, which is behind the the retina. You know. So I'm not exactly sure why, but these had a greater risk in developing macular degeneration too. Vasodilators, um, such as like lonitin and presaline, had a 72% uh, greater risk in developing macular degeneration. Low pressor had a 71% risk of wet. 
There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot we know. And one is don't smoke, period. Yeah, it goes without saying, but that's uh, huge. Have more omega-3. Even though the AREDS-2, by the way, did not say that that helped, there was other studies that said that it did. And, and so the thinking is, is that it does help because these were already uh, probably taking the supplements. So any extra wasn't really helping them is, is the thought. Less fat in omega-6 form. So fried foods, cheese, things like that. Stay away from, eat more omega-3. Omega-3 is anti-inflammatory. Omega-6 is inflammatory. It's pro-inflammatory. Eat greens. That has the lutein in it. Eat the orange-yellow vegetables. That has the zeaxanthin in it. Angela makes a very good raw kale salad. So if you're going to take a picture, uh, you, okay. If you're going to take a picture, take a picture of the next one here that has the recipe, because that this is one of my favorite salads that she makes, right here. And it's a raw kale salad. It sounds terrible when I first heard about it, but it is just wonderful, and I love it. And she doesn't make it enough, in my opinion. And so. Um, so that's good. It gets, gets your uh, omega-3s in there with your walnuts. It gets your greens and um, does have a little bit of uh, the maple syrup in there for a little bit of sweetening. You don't have to use it, of course, but uh, really makes it good. And, I, and when I take this to lunch to my office and I sit around the lunch table with my staff and everything, before, you know, I'll have them try, oh, you got to try this, you got to try this. And they look, what is it? And I'm like a raw kale salad. And, and, and they just don't listen. I mean, they, they just don't believe me. But they will try it, and they're like, that is so good. And uh, so you can make, you know, you, you shouldn't die because of lack of knowledge on how to cook, right? Amen. So uh, the other thing is, in my opinion, is the best intake of nutrients is not in a bottle. It's actually by the way God designed it. It's not always realistic. And uh, the average American only gets 2 milligrams of lutein instead of the needed 10 and, of course, the leading source of antioxidants for Americans is coffee, which is so sad. And the number one vegetable in America are French fries. <laughs> in fact, that's 25% of all vegetable intake in the United States is a French fry, honestly. But anyhow, so then, you know, if you're not, so I tell my patients, look, God knew what he was doing. And so, so eat the food. It's the food, you know, and you've heard that saying. And, uh, but if you don't, and you're not, and, and you're going to eat the sad diet, the standard American diet, you're going to get the sad diseases, standard American diseases, and you're going to have a sad death, standard American death. <laughs> and so it's sad all the way around, is what I tell them. And, and if it's sad all the way around, make yourself happy, eat better. If you don't, if you're going to stay with your sad diet, then at least take the vitamins and decrease your risk a little bit. So... Eye doctors kind of got the idea, you know, these pill pushers, vitamin pushers and things like that over the last 30 years or whatever because of, of this data. And so this, of course, I think I got all the vitamins that my eye doctor told me to get. So exercise, that's another thing we don't emphasize enough. Good blood flow, it, it uh, washes that metabolic waste buildup right out of the choroid and the RPE. Be careful with some of the medicines that you take, especially if you have dry, because of the, the possibility of converting to wet and aspirin. And then wear sunglasses, protect you, because they think it's UV damage that increases this, and also the, the high energy blue light that is, is back there damaging the retina as well. So limit your time in front of these harmful blue light um, devices, which also, by the way, it messes with your circadian rhythms, and so now you're going to, if you've got a new LED TV and you're going to stay up and watch that at night, you're going to stay up chronically later, you're going to get less sleep, and then that's going to interfere with your glymphatic system, which if you haven't heard the glymphatic system, Google that. That's relatively new where the CSF starts scrubbing the brain. And uh, we, we know there was no lymphatics in the brain, but they have now found that the CSF acts as its own uh, lymphatic system. And so they've coined the term um, glymphatics at the University of Rochester in New York. And it's fantastic, and I think it has a lot to do with glaucoma as well because of lack of sleep, uh, and you miss, and so staying up chronically later, they found that you miss that pre-wash cycle to that, that uh, flow, that fast flow that scrubs the brain out of the metabolic waste, and you need to learn about that. It's, it's fascinating. And then there are new developments for dry macular degeneration.
and we're uh, fast running out of time here, but it turns wet when it bleeds in there, and so that's what happens. So it is a bad form. The good thing about wet macular degeneration is that uh, there are new developments right here called anti-VEGF therapies. And so there are you know, these injections into the eye that actually will help decrease the new blood vessel pr proliferation. And there's a brand new one that's in phase three trials right now. What's nice about this, is instead of having an injection every month, it's every three months. So it lasts 12 weeks after the loading dose. And so there's other things, and, and uh, this is in Costa Rica here that uh, talks about cataracts. And I'm just going to, and cataracts are called cataracts because they look like waterfalls. And there's different types of cataracts, but I want to jump to this study right here. This followed 27,000 patients, okay, for 15 years. 2011, huge study. Vegans have 40% less cataract, vegetarians 30% less risk, fish only 21, and they went down. So this makes common sense. The more antioxidants that you consume, the less oxidation you're going to have in that protein in the lens. It's just common sense. And so that's a huge study. And these heavy meat eaters that they compared them to only ate meat once a day. Once a day, meat eaters. So can you imagine my patients that eat it three times a day? And uh, statins, um, some studies show an increased risk of cataracts. Some studies show a decreased risk. And this uh, statin reduced the risk, though, of glaucoma potentially. So there's some research going on right there with that. And lastly, dry eyes. All of these factors right here affect dry eyes. It's the number one reason that a person visits an eye doctor in America. The number one medical reason is dry eye syndrome. And there are multiple reasons right here that, that cause this inflammation to, in dry eyes. And so again, these are all inflammatory things. This is, these are my meibomian glands inside my eyelid, and I've suffered from dry eyes for years. And sure enough, I've got some meibomian loss right there. These meibomian glands secrete the oil into the tear film. And so some of the things for dry eyes, don't smoke, drink water, avoid caffeine, even though some studies are trying to make it show that it increases tear production by 30%, which it could, it is a very potent vasoconstrictor and it's dehydrating and it will keep you up at night. And when you're kept up at night, you have more inflammation. All right, keep staying up late and lack of sleep causes inflammation. That's why red eye flights are red eye flights. Okay, you're going to get over to Europe and your eyes are going to be red because you're inflamed because you got two hours of sleep instead of eight. And uh, so try to avoid sugar. If you go to the Arthritis uh, Foundation website, it's right there. Slash the sugar. Foods to avoid if you have arthritis. And so Ellen White was right 150 <laughs> years ago. She was. So uh, com limit computer time, good lid hygiene, get sleep. And so that's what we got. Just an FYI, the summary on this too, is that these foods that are subsidized by our government, you're going to have to kind of fight against. And these farmers, uh, these farmers are prohibited from growing fruits and vegetables on their base acres if they have any subsidy crops at all. So it's almost maddening because if they want to switch over some of those acres, they can't because it's being subsidized and they have to only grow corn, wheat, soybeans, cotton, or rice on it. So I don't know if you knew that. And uh, skepticism. I want to touch on this really quick, and uh, I'm going into my next lecture, but uh, I, I just want to touch this. If somebody comes in and they profess faith in the Bible, and how you can test this is, is I just say one quick thing. I just say, I don't know if you have any faith in the Bible or if you believe in the Bible or anything like that, and I wait. And I just look at them, and they either go, or they go, no. They either nod their head yes, or, they, or some of them say absolutely. If they ab say absolutely, you've just opened the door wide open for a lecture, a biblical reason 
to eat healthy because they just told me they believed in the Bible. So I'm going to say, so, so you know the story about Daniel then? And you know the story, oh, you know the story that hundreds of years before there was ever a Jew, God made a differentiation at, the, at Noah's Ark about the clean and unclean animals. You know, they're like, what? Hundreds of years before there was a Jew? They know their Bible, hopefully. And I'm planting seeds is what I'm doing. And then if, and, and I don't mean to bore you, but, and I go, and then and they're like, no, what? Keep going. I want to hear more or something like that. And I'll go there. That's your entering wedge. And you can do that as an eye doctor very, very, very easily when it comes to nutrition. And so I use certain phrases like this. And of course, we want our patients to see well, but we want them to see a vision of Christ. That's our goal. All right. Yes, we want them to see 2020, but we want to give them a vision of the love of God. And we want that for all of our patients. So with that, let's say a prayer real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we've had here. And we just ask that you uh, be with each person here. We ask that you teach us to depend on you, not only for um, our spiritual needs, but for to learn that our physical needs and this nutrition and these things that we're trying to improve on our own lives the power that we get to change our hearts comes from you and not of ourselves. So help us learn this lesson and teach that to our patients as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.